0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we will be in God's word together this morning. Be in verse 1 through 10. Uh, As Miss Juanita said, I'm, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here, and really glad to be able to dive into the word together this morning. Uh, This is our our last week uh, in a sermon series in 2 Corinthians titled Power in Weakness, uh, where we have been considering as a church what it means to live into the strength of Christ uh, and to relinquish the strength that we find in ourselves. This morning, we'll be looking at a passage that uh, scholar Philip Hughes calls the the summit of the epistle, uh, the lofty peak from which the entirety of Second Corinthians is viewed in true proportion. Uh, that, that this is the crown piece of what it means to find power uh, in weakness, um, because the the reality is. Uh, That when you are in Christ, there is no such thing as being too weak for God to use you. Uh, I'm going to need some amens early this morning. I'm going to need some amens early. Uh, There's no such thing as being too weak for God to use you. So if you're able... I want to invite you to stand as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Uh, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I love a text that'll preach itself. Uh, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, all of the glory belongs to you. Our highs, our lows, our triumphs, our trials, everything. It's glory that belongs to you. Lord, thank you that in this worship service, we were able to express to you our worship. And in this moment, you express back to us your word. Thank you. That when we open your word, you open your mouth, you you speak. So Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oprah Winfrey is an incredible woman of history first black female billionaire, a living legend. For 25 years, Oprah entered the households of millions of people's daily lives as she conducted interview after interview of fascinating guests. Her show quickly became the most popular syndicated talk show in the country. Some of y'all have memories of her show. I know I do. I have memories uh, of being at home enjoying whatever show I was watching, uh, and my mom would come home and, and walk into the living room to commandeer the television because Oprah was coming on, and it didn't matter if she was in the living room or not. You better not touch my TV because Oprah was on. Years after her show ended, Oprah was was interviewed, and she reflected on her time with the show and she was reflecting on the the guests that that came through Uh, she said that she interviewed over 37,000 people all kinds of people sat on her stage Michael Jackson Barack Obama George Bush Tom Cruise Y'all remember the Tom Cruise interview don't you Celine Dion the the list goes on of of celebrities as, as well as regular people from all walks of life as Oprah was reflecting on the thousands of guests that she encountered, she commented that all of them had one thing in common. They all wanted to be seen and heard. She, she said it didn't matter if they were celebrities or regular Joes just living their ordinary lives. They all felt a sting of vulnerability coming on her stage. She said they would ask her after an interview, was I okay? How did I do? It was interesting. She said, it was weird for Beyonce to ask me if she was okay after she just taught me how to dance. It was weird, but it showed her that no matter your life stage, whether rich, powerful, famous, obscure, poor, young, old, male, female, no matter what your background, no matter what your experience, everyone on some level knows their vulnerability. On some level, we all know we have weakness. And some of us do everything we can to escape it, but we really can't. We're human. We can no more escape our weakness than we can guarantee the next breath that we take. Paul would say, there's power in that. Uh, Paul would be an interesting guest on the Oprah show. (laughs) While everyone else would, would come on trying to put their best selves forward, Paul would do everything he could to put his weaknesses on display. Why? Because that's where God gets the glory. In some ways, this is what we see happening in the last four chapters of Second Corinthians. In chapters 10 through 13, we see an autobiographical expose on Paul's life in ministry. Some scholars note that these chapters are arguably the most painful chapters that Paul had ever written because he had to focus on himself. He had to defend his ministry to the Corinthians. This has come up several times throughout the letter. And part of the occasion for this letter is Paul responding to super apostles that have come and done everything they possibly can to undermine Paul's authority. They have called into question his character, his experience, his ethnicity, his pedigree, his ministry skills, his physical stature. Anything and everything about Paul, these false apostles have picked apart. And Paul's not so much concerned about that. Because haters gonna hate. Uh, His concern is that the Corinthians are are turning away from the gospel because it came to them through Paul's ministry. So in chapters 10 through 13 Paul is forced to defend himself because in so doing he's trying to defend the gospel itself. And the refrain throughout the chapters is this is foolishness. I, I shouldn't have to to walk you through my credentials. As he talks about in it back in chapter 3, y'all are my letter of recommendation. Your salvation, your spiritual growth should be enough for you to trust my ministry. But it's not. So he has to defend himself. And it's painfully awkward. You, you can sense it as you're reading the verses. You, you feel it as you read through the chapters, the internal conflict of not wanting to boast in himself but in Christ. But he has to talk about it to reach the Corinthians. Chapter 12 is part of this awkward exchange. You feel it, especially in the first six verses. Like, like Paul, what what are you you talking about here? Why are you talking around the bush? Is it the man? Is it you? Who are you talking about? But it's awkward because he doesn't want to boast in himself. Verse 1, we see Paul having to defend the revelations and visions that he has received from the Lord. He talks in third person that a man, 14 years ago, was caught up into the third heaven, paradise. Terms to indicate being in the manifest presence of God himself. Paul got a face-to-face encounter with the Lord, whether in the body or out of the body, who knows, who cares, God knows. He got to hear things, as verse 4 says, that, that are so magnificent... So splendid, so awesome, that they cannot even spill out of the lips of mankind. Paul's indicating in these verses, if I told you what I heard, it would blow your mind. But that awkwardness kicks in again. He says, I refrain because I don't want you to think more of me. I don't want the attention on me. And so we get to verse 7, and we start to see the point that Paul is trying to make. Because even though Paul is being forced to flex, he's resolved to only rely on the power of God. And so he details how that has happened in his life in light of these glorious revelations he has received. He details this in several mind-boggling ways. First, in verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And there's the first mind-boggling reality of God's power. God will use anything he chooses to humble us. Humility is a prerequisite to experiencing the power of God. Andrew Murray, in his book on humility, writes that humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Paul is saying, I was in danger of using God's revelations, using his majesty to enthrone myself. I hear echoes of 1 Corinthians 8 where it says, knowledge puffs up. And so Paul says, to keep me from being conceited, to keep me from getting puffed up, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And here's where our theology is often challenged. God gave Paul suffering. Scholars debate the specifics of this thorn, this this messenger that's harassing him, most acknowledge that it's left unanswered to invite us into the reality of suffering in the Christian life in all its forms. And I feel challenged when I read verses like these. Don't you? I feel it in a couple ways, and I wonder if you feel it too. Uh, One way is the struggle that, that I have after coming out of reading chapter 11, which we didn't read, but I'm going to read a, a piece of it here. Uh, at the end of chapter 11, Paul says, starting in verse 23, five times I received the hand uh, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Jesus only got one. Paul got five. There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I struggle because first, gosh, God, you allowed Paul to go through all of that? Why did you have to allow Paul to go through all of that? Your servant. And then I struggle because God, I feel like you could have used any one of those things to humble Paul. Any one of them. But you let him go through all of that. And then on top of that, you give him a thorn. God, what are you doing? Why would you go that way? Anybody ever asked a question like that? Don't leave me by myself. I know everybody ain't that spiritual all the time. Everybody ever ask, God, what are you doing? Issue upon issue, problem upon problem, pain upon pain. God, what are you doing? I struggle with that. That the same God that will give you paradise is the same God that will give you a thorn. I just want the God that gives paradise. You want to take me to the third heaven? I'm game. Let's go. But the text says that he is also the God that gives thorns. Can you trust God when he gives you a thorn in the flesh? Ajith Fernando, he's a missionary in Sri Lanka. He he talks about this this notion of of suffering in the Western world. He says, I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church is a defective understanding of suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience, and, and a painless life have become necessities that people view as basic rights. If they do not have these, they think something has gone wrong. One of the results of this attitude is a severe restriction of spiritual growth because God intends us to grow through trials. It's an unusual cultural phenomenon of world history to feel entitled to a pain free life, but that's the natural consequence of living in the most, uh, the richest time and the richest place in the world. I'm guilty. I'm oftentimes just not spiritual enough to see God's hand in the trials. I just want to escape. And on some level, Paul relates to that. You see it, don't you? Verse 8. Verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul didn't minimize the pain. He, he didn't have some naive, toxic positivity that tried to deny the reality of this thorn, this turn-a-frown, upside-down kind of mentality. He wanted it gone. And he responded rightly. He, he prayed. He went to God about it. And what happened? First time. I imagine that first prayer was full of vigor and enthusiasm and certainty. God, I, I feel this, this pain. Take it away, Lord. You are the God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills, Someone on and so forth. Real spiritual prayer. That first time around. But nothing. So he went to God again. God, you, you, you see me. You, you, you see this thorn, right? You see how I can't focus on ministry. You see that I'm, that I'm tossing and turning at night. You, you see that I can't escape the torment and the harassment. You see how limited I am and, and how I can't thrive and function well. Take it from me, God. This experience is, is too much. Prayer two, but nothing. Third time. He pleads. I don't know what he said in that prayer. Maybe he was still spiritual. Maybe he prayed a, a psalm of lament. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? That's in the book. How long, oh Lord, will you abandon me? That's in the book. I don't know what he said in that third prayer. I know I wouldn't have been spiritual by prayer three. All of my flesh would have been coming up in prayer three. And nothing. Paul's pleading, please remove the thorn. Three times. And remember verse two, this happened 14 years ago. And I don't know if those three prayers happened the same day. The same week, the same month, maybe it happened over the course of years, we, we don't know. All we know, so he prayed three times, and 14 years later, he's still wrestling with this thorn in the flesh. God told him no. Can you trust? That God's no is as good as God's yes. Paul pleaded. He wanted it so badly. And God in his goodness and kindness said no. Can you trust God for that? And then verse 9. God speaks back to Paul. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient Some, someone needs to hear that over and over again my, my my grace is sufficient for you when we might be tempted to think that the, the thorn removed more, maybe more money is sufficient, better, better health is sufficient a better job is is sufficient, a better marriage is sufficient, a better life is sufficient. God sometimes come back, whatever we might be tempted to think is sufficient, God says. No, it's it's my grace, my grace, my grace. I'm not spiritual enough. <laughs> I'm just not spiritual enough. I need some help, Jacob. Genesis 50. I need you, I need your testimony here. <laughs> After years of betrayal, Jacob's brothers left him for dead. Sold into slavery, he rises to power in a famine. Jacob stands before his brothers that betrayed him. The ones that betrayed him and tried to destroy him. And he tells them, Genesis 50, 20, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. Jacob understood God's grace is sufficient. I still need help, Job. Job, would you help me here? Job, he, he lost everything, his, his livelihood, his children, his health, heartache upon heartache. And Job says, Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb into this world and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood that God's grace is sufficient Somebody still needs help being convinced. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that can testify that you should have been dead and gone, that you should have been gone a long time ago, but you are here today only because of God's grace being sufficient for you. Anybody can testify to that? Anybody can say amen to that? God, thank you for your your grace. Jesus says, no matter what you're going through, My grace is sufficient. It's enough. And that's not even the most mind-boggling thing. Verse 9 and 10. Paul continues. Look at it with me. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word therefore rest is a word that could be translated to dwell with, to reside. It's the same word that's used in John 1.14 that says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Paul says, I'm harassed. I'm struggling. I'm weak. And I'm glad. And I want to boast about it because the power of God will dwell with me. Paul's captivated by God's presence beyond his pain. P.J. O'Brien is a 10-year-old girl who wanted nothing more than to meet her favorite NBA player, Steph Curry. She was in Denver to see him and the Warriors face off. Against the Nuggets. The Warriors were in town for for two games. Unfortunately, Steph was present, wasn't present for the first game. And so PJ was was devastated. She, she She had all her gear on, ready to go, all the paraphernalia. She had she had a colorful poster all ready to go. But there was no Steph Curry. She was in tears. The Warriors were kind enough to get her and her family some front row tickets to the second game where Steph Curry was scheduled to play. And this time, she was going to get her wish in full measure. The Warriors come out for the second game. And PJ is on the front row. and She's excited. She's ready to see her, her two-time MVP player. But it didn't just stop there. You see this, this viral video of Steph Curry. He comes out and he walks directly to PJ. And PJ loses it. I mean, just the ugliest cry. <laughs> you knew there was not coming down those nostrils. Just an ugly cry. She was so happy. And here's the thing. Steph Curry didn't do anything. All he did was show up. He didn't give her a single thing. It was enough for PJ just to be in his presence. And all she can muster of being in his presence. You hear the volume a little more, a little more in the video. She's just saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of God will dwell with me. He'll show up with me. I want to be in his presence and that will be enough for me. As the songwriter says, he, he's sweet, I know. Dark clouds may rise and strong winds may blow. But I can tell the world wherever I go that I have found a savior and he's sweet, I know. Paul didn't minimize his pain. But once he got into the presence of God, that changed how he understood his pain. He said, I don't want the pain. I even prayed against it. But if it means I get more of God in the pain, I'm glad about it. So in verse 10, he says, I'm content. With weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, I'm content. there's two ditches that Paul is trying to avoid as he's talking about how to gain power and weakness. One ditch is self-reliance. You can't be full of God and full of yourself at the same time. The other ditch is self-pity, where I identify with my suffering and it becomes the most meaningful part of me. No, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I'm content. That's hard. That's hard for me to believe. I struggle not to fall into either ditch, but thanks be to God that it's not up to my strength and my will that's holding me up. It's the power of God being perfected in my weakness. Sometimes I wonder how I would act if I was on the Oprah Oprah Winfrey show. I, I know that's a random thought, but I just wonder <clears throat> how would I be? If I got to be on such a stage with a bunch of eyes on me. I'll probably act the same way that I act here on this stage. I would want to come across as as well, as put together, as competent. I would want to come across as as strong, not wanting you to see me as as weak. But I'm going to be honest with you, I, I feel so weak right now. I can't even begin to tell you. And the joy that I'm asking for from the Lord is the joy of getting to behold him and his power more and more. That's my prayer for this church. That when people would encounter this church, that they would encounter weak people submitted to a strong and mighty God may it be so. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that even when we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are strong enough, you know the truth. We are weak we are needy, we are helpless. Lord, forgive us when we lose sight of that and feel like we can stand on our own two feet. Father, there's someone here that all of this is just washing off them, like off the back of a duck. They they struggle to really take this in. They're still stuck on the thorn. feel the pain and it feels more real than your power. God, thank you that there is no such thing as being too weak for you to use us even when we don't always feel it. Thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient for us your power, even now, is being perfected in our weakness. Help us to believe that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.